Welcome to another episode of Conda Detrimental, our first of the new year, 2024. Dan Lust hosting this week alongside my guy, the one, the only, Mike Xavier Kriptrenko. How's it going, Mike? Good. The last name's very far off, but I mean the middle name. I apologize. The middle name is very far off, but I appreciate it. Happy New Year and welcome to a first episode. Yes, yes, we are back. We are better than ever. Um, you know, I, I think as as most people do, we have uh, Christmas, we bleed into New Year's. You know, uh, it's like a kind of a nice time, a little bit of unwinding, reflecting on the year and, and moving ahead and forging ahead. So, um, yeah, we, uh, we're back. We're better than ever. You're going to get the same conduct from us. Um, what we have this week, Mike, uh, we have a, one of one of... I don't know, these kind of episodes that I really like, these kind of potpourri episodes where we dig across the sports landscape. I don't think, I think there's probably one really big story um, in sports law or, or sports kind of media law that that is, we'll say, an A-level story. But a lot of stories just from across the landscape that maybe people haven't been filing that closely or haven't realized the legal side to these. But yeah, lots lots of good things to cover. Um, before we get into it, um, Mike, are, are you still standing? This is your 1L fall semester you get starting to get some grades back you get nervous you feel good i feel good um you know i got like uh, we were talking offline i do have two i have my contracts and my torts uh grades coming back which you know it's just nerve-wracking because they're you know it's the first like big test that i've taken um you know finals it's crazy so um a little nervous but feel good um you know so far and you know we had some big things on your end though uh congrats on the promotion i mean come on now oh. everyone got to get some claps out here for that oh that, wow that, that's that's um, the biggest news that's the biggest news yeah uh, eh, you know it's big news so for those that don't know i guess it's big news um i've known about it for a little bit i it's uh i i got promoted to of council um which you know i some people and i don't think when i was your age i, I quite knew what i everyone knows what making partner is but like there's intermediate steps in order to generally, I don't think this is true everywhere. Some places you go from like junior associate to senior associate to uh, to counsel to senior counsel to partner to equity partner. There's different levels. Um, at least at my firm, you need to make of counsel before you're considered for partnership. And then when you're a partner, then you can make equity partner after that, which at some point I'll do an episode on the complexities of law school or, or law firm economics. But um, just know any promotion is a step in the right direction. So of counsel, uh, you know, it feels good. I've, uh, you know, uh, not to get into the whole thing, but it's, I will just say, uh, your boy, uh, I had a good year this year, uh, my first full year at the firm. Um, and, uh, it was nice to get recognized, uh, that I'm heading in the right direction. So it's fantastic. Um, I did want to say, so I appreciate that, Mike, appreciate that shout out. Um, before we get into it, uh, I'll, I'll give us the roadmap. And I want to tell you, I've, I've just got done grading a lot of papers. That was my last week of the new year. So I'm on the other end of grading stuff. So um, for those that don't know what we're going to cover on this episode, we'll just give you the roadmap and then I'll, I'll touch this quick and then we'll, we'll get into the substance. Jimmy Kimmel, Aaron Rodgers, Pat McAfee, uh, and this kind of constant orb of defamation that seems to be following the Pat McAfee show. Again, Pat's a, a friend of the show, of our show. We're going to cover it honestly and fairly like we always do. Um, we're going to cover that. Uh, Pat's comments about um, Norby Williamson, uh, who is an ESPN exec, uh, whether that crosses the the bounds of defamation. We have some analysis there. Um, and then I'm going to run through the list of topics that may or may not come up in this episode. Wander Franco uh, from the Tampa Bay uh, Rays has been in the news, obviously a, an important sports law story that, that we're following. Um, two sightings of conduct detrimental in the sports world conduct detrimental punishment so we'll, we'll cover that in the world of the nfl russell wilson and potentially nflpa grievance uh and then uh you know mike and i you know we exchange messages throughout the week of stories that we see the i think the social media algorithms know to feed these to me but stories that you know maybe people haven't heard of but it's just kind of comments that people are giving in sports the world that people are thinking of articles or interesting topics um or interesting problem solving scenarios uh, you know, I, I think it's worth coming up. So, you know, kind of a mixed bag. Um, but I'll say, Mike, uh, before we get into, you know, all of it, um, I uh, I graded 38, uh, I gave out 38 grades this past week for my sports law class at New York Law School. So, you know, I love teaching. I love preparing. I love, you know, you know, I, I, I do like the process of teaching and presenting in front of a class. What I don't like to give, I don't like to give grades. Um, 
you know, if I wasn't in a curved class, I don't know, I'd give everybody good grades. They give everybody A's and B's. No, with the nature of the beast, um, with a curved class, you have to give out some bad grades. So I don't love that this week. Um, and especially, you know, it's really tough talking to students, you know, after and you send the grades out. They, they, I always, I'm an open book. I say, you want to talk about why I did this and why I did that. But yeah, it's, uh, it's never fun telling someone that they got a bad grade in sports law. Um, you know, my solace is like, Hey, it's sports law. Like it's not the end of the world. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, that's not the best part. So I guess this is to anyone out there who needs to hear it. One bad grade in your law school transcript will not make or break your legal career. The dirty secret about law school. And I'm happy to reveal it. Mike, do you have a pen and paper? You ready to write this down? Yep. Here we go. Okay. No one after your first job in law school cares about your GPA. No one's asking for a copy of your transcript. So, yes, I was there. I was in your shoes. A bad grade in law school it feels like life or death. feels like you won't be able to get a job in sports. Like a, a friend of mine is a, an entertainment professor, and he gave someone a bit, uh, like a B or a B minus, and they're like, I'm never going to be able to work in the entertainment field. Like, that's not true. No one cares about that. Um you know, obviously pass, try to do as well as you can, try to make cum laude and magna cum laude and all that stuff. But after your first job, maybe your second job, after a year or two out of school, no one cares about your GPA. No one cares about your individual transcript. Yeah, they care about what school you went to. That's not going to leave you. But don't worry about your grade so much. It shouldn't be a life or death scenario. Um, Mike, we don't need to worry about that for you because you're getting straight A's across the board. So not a concern for my guy, Michael Xavier yeah straight a's uh got you know we're on the conduct detrimental podcast you know that's got to count for something right it definitely does definitely does okay enough of the tomfoolery uh wishing everyone a happy and healthy new year and we will get right into the substance um let's start here so uh a story that was kind of you know uh, we we don't try not to cover the political stuff here on conduct but it comes up we're going to cover it um a big big uh Reveal this week. Uh, I guess it's the first of the the reveals of the Epstein list. No, we are not analyzing the Epstein list and the names that have come up. That is not the topic for conduct detrimental. Maybe if some uh, athletes or, or someone like that came up, maybe we'll talk about it, but not for this podcast. Um, what we are going to talk about are the Aaron Rodgers comments. Of course, Jets quarterback Aaron Rodgers on the Pat McAfee show. So I'm going to give you a brief excerpt of comments that he said to McAfee on January 2nd. Quote, there's a lot of people, including Jimmy Kimmel, who are really hoping that doesn't come out. And they're talking about the Epstein list. I'll tell you what, if that list comes out, I definitely will be popping some sort of bottle, um, you know, in the background here. So Rogers was insinuating. I don't know how close he got to saying it, but insinuating that that Kimmel was going to be on the list or was going to be unhappy about the list. Um, so. There is a back and forth. I, I watched a clip this week of Kimmel making fun of Rogers for something he said in the McAfee show, uh, you know, a couple weeks, months earlier than that. Um, so there is some back and forth. But Rogers got pretty close to saying that Kimmel was going to be on the list. Um, Mike, do you have ready what Kimmel's response to that was? I thought it was a good one. <laughs> I thought so, too. I do have it here. Uh <laughs> Are we are we are we cursing on the first episode of twenty twenty four? If it's if it's quoted, you can read it. It's fine, but you, yeah, you're all good. You're clear. <laughs> yeah, we're quoting Jimmy Kimmel, uh, quote tweeting on uh, the new X, uh, dear asshole. Uh, for the record, I've not met, flown with, visited, or had any contact whatsoever with Epstein. Nor will you find my name on any list in quotes, other than the clearly phony nonsense that soft brain wackos like yourself can't seem to distinguish from reality your reckless words have put my family in danger keep it up and we will debate the facts further in court there he is threatening to sue aaron Rodgers. yeah so let's let's analyze this here so I, I think people have been following it we have an update today that that hit just as mike you and i were about to record so the question was did kimmel um you know, it was Kimmel being serious, number one, and you, you left it out. People said he misspelled asshole. Um, he spelled it with two A's, like A-A-S-S-H-O-L-E. And then the uh, people are like, 
no, it's like Aaron, like Aaron, asshole. You know, I gave him two A's. So I thought that that's Jimmy Kimmel being funny. Um, so yeah, I I actually I listened to the Rogers thing again. I, you know, Rogers is talking about a public figure that is, you know, um, he's talking about Kimmel. Is Rogers saying, and, and again, we've talked about this in the show, and it's one of the topics that I, I love to talk about in our class because it's just defamation is it's a moving goalpost. There's a lot of elements that come up. We're going to talk about it a lot for sports media. It's probably your most important, most important coverage here. Um, you know, your way to protect yourself for our, our broadcasters or uh, different sports media people that listen to the show. But, you know, the question is when you're dealing with a public figure, it's not just that what you're saying has to be false, right? You also have to be saying a, a fact, an asserted fact, not just your opinion of somebody kind of just generally, you have to be giving some sort of fact and you have to, as a, for a public figure, it's not just that it's false, that you know the thing is false, yet you're saying it anyway, or with reckless disregard of its truth or its falsity. So, you know, I, number one, when I listen, I listened to the clip a couple of times. I'm not quite sure that Rogers is saying Kimmel is on the list. I think you could make a debate if you're Rogers lawyers, like he's just saying that Kimmel is going to be unhappy when the list comes out, um, which isn't saying that he's on the list, but it's close enough where there's a, certainly a question. Um, but then the other part, which is where I think Kimmel might be right, is Rogers saying that knowing it to be false or with reckless disregard of its truth or falsity, like assuming somebody thinks he's saying that Kimmel's on the list. I, I did a, you know, a, a sweep across social media. I've never heard of anybody else. And maybe I missed it. But I don't know anywhere else where anyone else has ever made that allegation. So unless Rogers knows something that that we don't, um, it does seem like he's kind of pulling it out of his uh, AASS to catch my drift. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree, one hundred percent. I've never seen it. You know, I'm on I'm on the interwebs constantly, uh, especially in you that, are Mike. You yeah, are. I am. I am. And um, you know, <laughs> me and my friends have dove into some of this stuff, and uh, I've never seen Jimmy Kimmel on any of this, um, and at least on you know any public figure like Aaron Rodgers or anyone making any comments. Cause this has been, uh, I mean, a huge topic for a year, you know, a few years now. And Jimmy Kimmel's name has seemingly not been floated out there until Rogers, who, like you said, has some past, uh, you know, gripe with him, um, you know, making fun of him on like Jimmy, on Jimmy Kimmel's show and going back and forth a little bit. So this seems kind of, you know, like you said, um, a little bit more of a response and, um, you know, I, I don't think, that this was something that he, you know, I don't see it online really like you had mentioned. So uh, I'm kind of curious. Yeah. Though, you know, uh, you know, where this came from with Rogers. Yeah. So here's, here's the context, which I think is important. So again, do I, I think uh, Kimmel has a case? No, because I I do think he's not making an assert. He's not making a factual assertion. He's making some, some type of amorphous comment that Kimmel's going to be unhappy when the list comes out and Rogers is going to be popping a bottle, but I don't think he's saying Kimmel's on the list and I know it to be true, but it is kind of reckless in how he's saying it, but I don't, he's not saying, he's not saying it in a way that I think is as ascertainable fact. I don't think anyone is viewing it like that, but you know, Kimmel's fair to make that response. Well, the update we had um, is, you know, so the question was in these past couple of days, like, and this is kind of a broader comment about sports media in general, like, you know, and, and I know, you know, this, Mike, you follow this landscape pretty closely. ESPN had been getting a lot of, um, I don't want to call it blowback, but we'll see some criticism over the past. I'll say it's like five years where, where there is a question of like, and, and again, we are not a political show. I'm just telling you what's out there. And I'm not speaking of like not accusing anyone of anything. I'm just saying that this word is out. There are when you watch, when you like look where ESPN, if anybody tweets about ESPN, if you look at the replies, there's a sentiment that ESPN had had strayed too far in what we'll call the woke category, that they were too nervous about everything, everything about being politically correct. And probably the uh, somewhat illustrative of that is, you know, Barstool, whose brand is blowing up in the last you know five years. They had a show on on ESPN that lasted for about like five seconds before they pulled the plug on it. So, you know, they were worried about Barstool's history. There's, you know, I'm not going to get into all the weeds, but there's different political issues that have come up over the years. Um, and ESPN seems to be, you know, they they are very worried about controversy. So when Pat McAfee, when they brought his show over, and my understanding of Pat's show 
is that Pat pays his own producers, that it's handled in-house, that ESPN doesn't have that level of, we'll say, fact-checking or like, uh, it's not fact-checking, it's like quality control. And it's not to say that there's anything like wrong with Pat show. It's just that it's not that glossy coverage that is an ESPN sports center, like with the heavily produced. It's just kind of fly by the seat of your pants. And that's why... Pat show for the most part is like much CTV. Like when it goes great, it's great. And when it goes wrong, it's like a car, like a car wreck. You can't look away. But what happened in this past 24 hours after those comments, Pat kind of said, like, we're not a scripted show. Things come out. And that's why our show is great. We didn't plan for, for Rogers to say that it happened. And we're sorry that we were a part of that process. So Pat gave this kind of a kind of apology slash non-apology, but you know, to be honest, I don't think Pat McAfee, has to apologize for anything. Maybe Rogers does, but McAfee doesn't. So the question in our circles was, what is ESPN going to do here? Because in ESPN's world, in the last five years, they've always gone towards, let's apologize for this. Let's punish somebody, you know, like, let's, you know, let's not do, let's, you know, let, let's respond uh, and, and get our talent in trouble. But McAfee's making so much money. And I think the signing of McAfee's show signaled that ESPN was moving away from that overly cautious era into like, hey, let's just make money era. Let's license away to ESPN bet. Let's bring in McAfee. Let's let Stephen A. Smith say all sorts of wild things on various platforms. Like, I think they're okay with it. Um, and then, Mike, that leads us to five minutes ago. Do you have the the quote from uh, ESPN's Mike Foss? There's kind of many quotes um, from Mike Foss. I mean, he said that, you know, in relation to the release of the, you know, Jeffrey Epstein documents that just came out uh, in the last 24, 48 hours, that uh, Roger's comments were a dumb and factually inaccurate joke. It should have never happened. Uh, we all realized in that moment. Um, and then, you know, there's kind of he's also highlighting that the show will you know continue to evolve you know i'm interested to kind of see that aspect as well but they're not happy with that and they're making you know sure i guess the apology is you know interesting is <laughs> i don't know if that's so much you know an apology but well it's it's almost an admission it's funny like you know, I know we're, we're spending a little bit of time on this, but I think it's important. Aaron made a dumb joke and factually inaccurate joke about Jimmy Kimmel. So who is saying that? It's not like Aaron Rodgers is not an employee of ESPN. Mike Foss said this. And if you like Aaron Rodgers, as far as I know, I, I know he's getting we've talked about this in the show. I think he's is some payment arrangement with McAfee show. So maybe there's some indirect link between ESPN and, and Rodgers. But like, I don't know who who is Mike Foss to say whether something is. Uh, joke or factually inaccurate it should never have happened we all realized in the moment so yeah it's it's espn apologizing for something that a third party said on their network um so to the point that we raised earlier about the analysis on defamation he's some i don't think you can qualify this as an admission when it comes to aaron Rodgers because ESPN's not an employee of Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, granted, there's some sort of nexus, but he's ad they're admitting that there was no support. Like, you know how you, I said he was pulling it out of his uh, AASS? Like, he's saying that there was no there's no documents of this. There's no, Rodgers is not reporting this as is. He was just making a joke. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an admission. Um, but to that level of like, hey, this is a joke. It's not an ascertainable fact. So yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any liability here. But it is odd for ESPN to apologize for a comment of a guest on a show. That should technically be an apology that should come from Rogers. Um, and I don't think Rogers is banned from the McAfee show, which ESPN certainly could make it a pronouncement and tell McAfee keep Rogers off. According to uh, Mike McCarthy of Front Office Sports. Um, Rogers is expected to return to McAfee show next Tuesday. So Rogers is good to go. So, you know, um, it's, it speaks to a little bit about this weird relationship between ESPN and McAfee. Um, I don't know. It, it's not the end of the saga, but you know, I, I, it's definitely something worth watching. We're, we're kind of getting around the defamation circles. Um, and obviously McAfee was a, is a massive part of ESPN's rebrand. Uh, so they, they've got a lot invested in him. They, they can't really throw him to the wolves. Um, so, you know, it's, it's interesting with McAfee being on ESPN, um, 
there's a lot more coming out. Even just five minutes ago, we were talking before we got on. Uh, McAfee now accusing, uh, you know, certain executives, more specifically, uh, he names Norby Williamson. Um, you know, with 2023 year end, they're bringing out a lot of the ratings and um, some of it leaked out. As you mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, McAfee does everything internally. So he has his own numbers. Uh, they see everything across all different platforms and they specifically, I'm sure, see ESPN and um, he names Norby Williamson, the executive VP of production, as possibly sabotaging the show, um, you know, which is an interesting thing to do on ESPN. Um, I mean, he's they haven't said anything about it ESPN yet because, I mean, it pretty much just happened today. So uh, more coming out of the Pat McAfee show immediately and talk about defamation, um, you know, specifically naming someone. And claiming it almost as fact. I mean, talk about claiming something as fact. Um, you know, he says that Williamson is seemingly the only human that has information, and then somehow that information gets leaked and it's wrong, and then it sends a narrative of what our show is. So, I mean, that's <laughs> that's pretty so. Factual. I I I have some. Well, it's it's funny. It's like so. Um, you the listeners that the OGs of our show, and and I want to. Uh, I was going to shout out some people by name, but I, I get messages from law students from different schools every so often. Uh, I got a couple. Dan, thank you so much for this podcast. I did well in my law school finals because I listened to the show. So shout out, uh, respect to everybody that, uh, you know, found our show. And if, I'm, if we're helping on law school finals, fantastic. Um, I will say, um, uh, you know, I, we were pretty public about this. We, we had some communications with, uh, I mean, I, I had some dialogue with McAfee while the Brett Favre stuff was going on. Um, and obviously our most popular show of, of last year was the McAfee deep dive. We did into defamation law. So part of the elements and you no, know, we talked about it a couple of times, like in order to this line of like ascertainable fact, if you're giving something that is a factual assertion, this thing is a fact. It's not wishy-washy. I'm not sure this is fact. It's, it's true. It's a true factual assertion. Where the courts, where the case law kind of comes out, if you say, like, allegedly this happened or apparently this happened or seemingly this is the case, those cautionary words are going to take a, a reasonable person to say, like, hey, this isn't fact. Someone is just reporting something else or someone is giving their educated guess on something, but it's not a fact. It's their opinion. So I, I listened to this Norby Williamson clip when he's, you know, you're right. The, if you just listen to the clip in a vacuum, he's accusing this guy, Norby Williamson, of being a sabot saboteur, right? Uh, sabotaging the show. But then you, you listen to the words and you're listening with this fine ear. He's like, I think it's him. I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, seemingly, he's the only one with information. So and then he kind of goes a little bit further. If you listen to the full comments and context, which is also uh, part of the standard for, for defamation. It seems like, you know, Pat's like this guy, Norby left me alone in his office for 45 minutes. He big leagued me. So it doesn't seem to me again, to be something that's necess necessarily ascertainable fact. It seems like Pat's giving an educated guess who the saboteur was. And he's saying, I don't know for certain, but I think it could be him again. Like, you know, Pat, I don't, I don't know this. But it's possible, if you listen to how I'm phrasing, it's possible Pat listened to our episode and is using those words of caution. It's very hard to, to nail someone in defamation when you have those cautionary words because you're not making a fact. You're saying, I'm not sure, seemingly, apparently, allegedly. Those are your magic words. So somebody somewhere coached Pat up, and I don't think Pat's going to get sued for defamation anytime soon. I think he's... I think he's uh, he's learned from that. Yeah, uh, for sure. The, I mean, <laughs> allegedly is one of their favorite words on the show now um, after that. And uh, I do, you know, as we're reading this now and kind of as we're recording, though, there's a lot of ex ESPN employees coming out and supporting this. So um, I'm curious, McAfee, supporting yes. who? McAfee no, or Jameel or Hill, Norby. I can relate. Um, ex ESPN host Michelle Beadle replied, well, 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 um, a former executive producer of the Dan Labatard show uh, posted Pat with three clapping emojis. I mean, there's a lot of support from ex ESPN employees for this, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of jumping on board <laughs> uh, to name Norby Williamson for this. This is so uh, I'll just, I'll just say something odd is happening. Mac McAfee. Uh, we support, we, we for stand sure. yeah, with no Pat doubt. McAfee <laughs> on the show. I'm happy to say that. Um, but like, 
you know, there's something odd that's happening, right? Like ESPN and ABC are both under the Disney umbrella, and you have McAfee and going at, and McAfee uh, guest going after Kimmel. That's kind of odd. You have McAfee openly talking about an ESPN executive. So this is this is very rare that an ESPN. Uh, you know, I don't know if you want to call him an employee or not. I don't know what his exact situation is with ESPN, but someone under the ESPN banner is now in a dispute in the same week against ES, ESPN exec and ABC, an affiliate, right, uh, under the Disney umbrella. So keep a close eye on Pat. Yeah, he's bucking all the trends now. left and right. These two now, like you said, I mean, Jimmy Kimmel and Pat McAfee are two of the largest brands and, I mean, highest paid talent under the Disney umbrella now. So I'm hey, interested. just just watch it. Just watch it. So listen, we we are the sports law show. Which talent? We got to set the stage. Um, this this intersection of sports, media, law, employment issues. Um, we're watching it, but um, we wanted to make sure we touched those two. Um, before we go any further, a reminder: our show is sponsored by Themis Bar Review. Um, Themis Bar Review, top prep, top bar prep company in the entire galaxy. Um, we just had a, a an internal meeting, and we've decided to give Themis um, the 2024 award for best bar prep company. Um, in the in the northeast, um, we're gonna have our meeting next week to see if we're gonna give it to them in uh, the west coast, Florida. But like ah, you know, the fix is in. We like Themis, top bar prep company. Use our promo code. Actually, let's do this again. Uh, keep recording, Mike. If you need, if you want our promo code, that's the easiest way to get directly to me. I'll give you the promo code. I'll hook you up directly with our contact at Themis, Rebecca. She's the best, and we'll give you the best rates uh, available under the Themis banner. Okay, Mike. You ready? Yes, sir. Oh, I'm been, I'm um, always ready. Give us, uh, we don't have to spend too much time on this, but give everybody an update on a story that's somewhat, I, it's important to pay attention. We haven't covered it this much on the show, but um, Wander Franco's battle against, uh, well, yeah, I'll, I'll let you lay the landscape. What's the latest with Wander Franco? Um, what, what have people not been paying attention to? Yeah, so, I mean, we're talking about one of the, I mean, best young stars in the MLB, the future of the MLB, you know, uh, that would have been and was a face of the MLB. And, um, you know, he was awaiting a ruling that actually happened right before we jumped on Uh, in the Dominican Republic. uh, Prosecutors were alleging a relationship with a 14 year old girl. Um, So if some of you may not be, um, you know, constantly following baseball. Uh, So for about the last three, four five months, um, you know, there's been an investigation into whether. Uh, Franco had any commercial ex- sexual exploitation, uh, saying that he allegedly made payments to the girl's mother, uh, you know, the 14 year old girl that they're accusing him of. Um, and I mean, they, when it comes to this, he's responding with a, hey, they're, they're, this is extortion. But uh, they investigated uh, in September, they found authorities raided the home of the girl's mother. Uh, they seized uh, $13,000 of uh, United, U.S. money. Uh, as well as 68,000 that was found hidden behind a frame. They're claiming that, you know, a a lot of this uh, was delivered by Franco, um, you know, for the commercial and sexual exploitation of this girl. So, um, you know, I'm interested. The authorities claim this, but on Friday, they did get him out on bond. So, um, which was today, uh, you know, about an hour before we hopped on, uh, they released that. So, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, this is a huge thing. I mean, Franco within the MLB, I mean, he's been on the restricted list since August um, when he was accused of it. Um, this was all came out on social media, you know, as we talk about in social media. Uh, this is where all of this stemmed from. This is where all the accusations came from. Um, and the Rays, I mean, the MLB is going to do their own investigation. But, you know, when it comes to the authorities, um, they let him out on bond today. And he will be coming back. You know, he's meeting with authorities. We were talking today um, that he's ordered to come back once a month. Uh, to meet with the authorities and that he had to pay $2 million in Dominican pesos as a depositor, as a bond. So, um, yeah, I mean, this there's a lot to kind of unpack with that type, with those type of things, um, with underage. I mean, like I said, he, it, the different countries, there's a lot going on between Dominican, the U.S. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know where this is going to go right now, but as of right now, they have him out on bond. So a couple things for those that don't know about Wander Franco, 22 year old, uh, you know, not talking about anything on uh, off field, but was 
very highly thought of in, in on-field performance. Finished third in the Rookie of the Year voting for the Rays in 2021. Uh, very solid slash line, 810 OPS. And this year in 2023 was named an all-star. Um, you know, obviously uh, an abbreviated season, but, you know, is a very high, highly thought of player. This year would be going into his age 23 season. So, you know, this is a player, you know, it's not of the, necessarily the name brand level of, uh, you know, a 10-time All-Star Hall of Famer, but this is a, a individual charge of something very serious and, you know, now is being accused of paying people off. So, I know it's it's uh, it's messy. Um, do we have any indication, Mike? Um, have we heard anything from Major League Baseball as a response to these recent allegations, the payment of bond? I haven't I haven't seen it, but I know you're you're tied in to the interwebs. Have you seen anything? And then I, I have a you know something something new that I think came out on Wander. But have you heard baseball's comment on this? The Rays comment. No, uh, baseball and the Rays just continue uh, to hold that they have their own investigation. It's ongoing, and that's pretty much where they're at. I, I would imagine that they're working with authorities to handle that. Yeah, I, I uh, you know, for playing purposes, I think um, I think last we heard Franco remains on the restricted list. So to your point, Mike, they're still, uh, you know, doing their investigation. But as the criminal investigation heats up um, internationally, I would imagine that's uh, it's not good for his um, ability to play while this thing is looming over him. Um, I had um, speaking of our like our sports card audience, uh, I, I saw something. I, maybe you've seen this, Mike. Maybe I, I found something that you didn't see. So I'm going to read this. This is a, a quote from a, I guess like a random guy on, on Twitter. So uh, funny story. This this is the quote or this is the tweet. Two years ago. My brother won a Topps Redemption for a random piece of MLB memorabilia from an all-star player. Yesterday, it finally came in the mail. They sent him a pair of pants used by Wander Franco. I'm actually nervous oh that this could goodness. be used as a piece of evidence. So it's a, it's a pair oh it's a goodness. pair of his pants. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, listen, uh, the Topps, they're sending used pants from an all-star player. Uh, Wander Franco is an all-star. Um, I, that's probably the worst pair of all-star pants to have been given. Um, but yeah, I thought that was somewhat somewhat humorous that Tops is still giving out Wander Franco stuff. Um, you know, Talk we about I work with control. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I work with some athletes that when they sign, I, we we did a deal. Uh, I won't say the name of the company, but you'll you you know what the company is, and they they cut up shirts and pants, and it's game used, game worn, whatever else, and. We get compensated for, you know, like we don't get paid more when stuff gets sold. We get paid, the, the athlete gets paid to provide the goods and to put their signature on stuff. So the athlete has no say over when the stuff gets sent out. It sits in some warehouse somewhere and then it gets sent out when they put it in a card pack or a breaker's box or whatever they do. So, yeah, Wander Franco, I'm sure, had no clue when this was getting sent out, but somebody at the tops world definitely sent this out with knowledge, which is, um, uh, which is a decision. It's a choice. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a choice. Um, but yeah, I thought that was funny. Um, okay. So, uh, Mike, you have anything else on Franco? I got a couple other, uh, items. We'll, we'll, we'll plow through the rest of the stuff. I, I, I no, thought, yeah, no, let's we... hop into it. Okay. So I always think, uh, I, so I get notifications anytime the word conduct detrimental is used anywhere. I get notifications because I'm always looking for interesting things. So this past, since our last recording, we had two punishments based on conduct detrimental. Um, the first was the, uh, I don't know, humorous one. The other one is one that we now have to pay very close attention to. The first, Jair Alexander of the uh, of the Green Bay Packers gets uh, tagged with conduct detrimental in a story that you can't make up. The Packers play the Carolina Panthers. They play in Carolina. Jair Alexander is not voted a captain um, by the team. The team doesn't make him a captain, but he pops out for the coin toss and he's like, yeah, yeah, I got this. Like step aside. Like it's like that old clip uh, back in the day. Mike, do you know who, um, do you know who Leroy Jenkins is? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like Jair Alexander is like, okay, let's do this. Jair Alexander. And then he's like, (laughs) just pops out and gives, gives the coin toss. He's like, yeah, we're going tails. We're going to play defense. And apparently he had no authority from the team to have done that. And, you know, they asked him about it afterwards. Like, Jair, what are you doing? You weren't a captain. He's like, well, I'm paraphrasing. I made myself a captain because I'm from Carolina. And like, yeah, I should have been a captain. To, like, everyone was here to see me. Uh, 
And apparently the Packers didn't take well to that. Uh, basically tagged him with conduct detrimental to the team, and, and they had him sit out a game. Um, so, yeah, that's conduct detrimental. Again, we have the show. People like, I love the show. I don't understand the name. And I'm like, well, you're not paying attention close enough because that's conduct detrimental. Performing acts that make the team look bad. Um, and that's a great one. So a lot of people saw that Jair Alexander story and they're like, uh, the Packers must be going insane. They must have a, a lot of mutiny if that happens because that doesn't happen. And then everybody bet on the Vikings in that week 17 game. And what do you know? Oh, Packers showed up big. They won. They won that game by like three touchdowns. That was the uh, the Jared Hall game. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Conduct detrimental pops up. So um, do you have the other one for us, Mike? I, I have a feeling you, you got some criticism on, on the uh, validity of your top five list when you had baby Gronk in it. But um I think you know what the other story is here for conduct detrimental and uh, and and this past week. I hope you do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, David Tepper. I mean, the owner of the Panthers. You know, you know, it's rare that you see something like this. You are from correct, an owner. Mike. By the way, I mean, you are you are oh correct. Goodness. Ding ding ding. <laughs> Um, being fined three hundred thousand from the by the NFL uh, after he threw a drink uh, at fans. Uh, <laughs> Jags they fans, took, not Panthers yeah, fans, Jags yes, fans. Yes, yes, obviously, yes. Jags fans um, that were seemingly, I mean, in the video, it seemed like uh, they were going, they were drawing back and forth. But uh, David Tepper, an owner of an NFL team, threw a drink at fans. And, I mean, they were getting killed. It was 20, you know, they lost 26 nothing. But, I mean, it's caught on video. Everything's caught on video now. And, um, yeah, it was called unacceptable conduct by the NFL. So, like we said, conduct detrimental. Um, and Tepper put out a statement, um, you know, that he regrets his behavior, uh, you know, that the <laughs> NFL stadium security, uh, you know, he should have let them handle any issues that arose. So, you know, that's where I question, oh, maybe something was going back and forth. Uh, but, um, you know, he said he respects the NFL's code of conduct. And of course, I mean, 300,000 people were saying that. What was that? Like 25 cents to him? Yeah, uh, like it, was, a, it was like around it was like a buck 25. But it's like, a you know, because he's worth 20 billion. I never. I, I never like the ones that equate, you know, 300000 is $300,000. That's a lot of money. You know, I, I, I we've made that joke before that, like, you know, when uh, Dan Snyder got fined, like, five hundred grand, we are like, oh, drop in the bucket. But, like, you know, anybody can – anybody will feel 300000 You know, that's, that's a lot of money, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I think speaking of Snyder, you know, I think Snyder was the punching bag and, and kind of covered up a lot of bad ownership over the years because everyone's like, oh, Snyder's the worst. Let's go after Snyder. And now that Snyder's gone, you know, there has to be somebody else. So I think if you put like a poll out, I think people probably would have put like betting odds to be the next donor that people go after. You know, I think Jim Mercer shows up on a lot of those lists. Um, but, you know, there's this weird thing in sports and, and not to say that it's right, but it happens. If your team is winning games, people kind of look past if you're a bad owner. That's why Snyder, Snyder was a, you know, seemingly a, a a bad person right with a lot of really controversial legal stories real heavy legal allegations event around him um this is tepper's tepper's got an interesting backstory you know a lot of people were diving into it this past week but um you know this is pretty bad throwing drinks at fans that's that's going to be you know uh, you know this is the beginning of the case against tepper it's a bad one right and then also the panthers might have this past year been a part of one of the worst trades in football history, trading DJ Moore and their their first overall pick, and then having a year where they're the worst team in football. Um, and then there's the story that David Tepper, uh, again, not our story, just just relaying it, that he was behind the decision to draft Bryce Young over CJ Stroud, which, assuming all of those things is true, not only is it one of the worst trades in history, if the Panthers end up with, you know, another, if the Bears pick uh, ends up being a, a really good pick, but that the team was horrendous and Tepper was the reason that they picked uh, Bryce Young over CJ Stroud, the whispers are going to get even louder. So, you know, Tepper, that frustration seemed to boil over. And, and we don't know what, what was said between the Jag stand and the Panthers, uh, you know, between Tepper, but you know, a horrendous look to throw a drink at a fan. It's one thing to pull like a James Dolan and like kick fans out or use facial recognition to uh, kick people out. Like that's, you know, being a little bit big brothery, uh, you know, which, you know, I feel like we, we've, kind of view that as the, the owner's MO. Um, I don't recall an owner throwing a drink at someone. I mean, that's pretty crazy. Usually you're right. You get your stooges to escort Charles Oakley out of the garden. If you're James Dolan, you don't throw a drink on, on Oakley. Um, 
And, you know, Tepper's lucky that that fan, that fan tried to jump over the rail and go after him. You know, Tepper's lucky he wasn't involved in something more serious. But, yeah, I mean, that's a horrendous look. And now Tepper has moved squarely into the worst owner in, in the NFL. And if you're the worst owner in the NFL, quickly you're the worst owner in all of sports. Because I saw, Mike, I know you saw that graphic. The NFL in 2023 had like like 99 out of the top 100 shows in all of like television were football. So Tepper is now qu quickly escalated into the worst owner in all of sports. Maybe in like <laughs> worst, worst billionaires in all of pop culture that own important things. He's rocketed very high up the list. Not, not all the way up because we have some crazy people, but he's in the conversation all of a sudden. Yeah. Uh, and add on top of the fact that, I mean, in his short time as the owner, what, what is he five, six coaches already in the last, you know, four or yeah. five years. So, I mean, it's, it's a bad look for the NFL. And yeah, like you said, people are jumping on, I think in my opinion, David Tepper's uh, the most hated owner in the NFL. Uh, if I you think look so. on, if you look yeah. on Twitter, I mean, outside of even before this drink thing, I mean, he was getting attacked and this just, like you said, skyrocketed him up there. So I, I think, I think we could almost place him at number one in the NFL. You know, it's funny. Um, and we'll just, to, just briefly, like the Panthers team went on the market because Jerry Richardson and for, for those that don't know, Jerry Richardson was the guy before Dan Snyder was the guy. Jerry Richardson was a guy who uh, made a, a really uh, had a history of bad comments that was documented. I believe in a Sports Illustrated article, racist comments. You guys can look it up. Not our not our position to talk about it, but um, he ended up just agreeing voluntarily to sell the team. And Carolina Panthers fans are like, ah, thank God, got rid of the team. Uh, you know, um, and this, this billionaire's coming in. He's going to fix the practice squad. He's going to to fix the facilities and you know now they've panthers fans have walked into an era where there is no winning and there is a lot of bad headlines about their owners so sometimes it's good sometimes it's bad um yeah so i don't know you can i i cover jerry richardson in my sports law class so people can look that up but he's in the vicinity of like a donald sterling type snyder type like a lot of bad allegations um but did kind of the right thing just sold the team really quickly didn't, you know, all kind of have this whole bidding process, get threatened to get kicked out of the league. He just sold quick. And uh, the Panthers fans are really excited, which makes Panthers fans feel all the more harm and, and pained because they thought they were leaving one band owner for a good owner. Not, not, not really the case. So I'm sorry to uh, our, our Carolina based audience. Um, okay. So that's our conduct detrimental roundup. Speaking of, uh, Areas where teams thought that they were getting their savior and it didn't happen. Um, okay, get ready for this. Broncos country, let's ride. Let's figure this one out. Um, Mike, can you give us the latest on what's going on with Russell Wilson? Yeah, so uh, like you mentioned, the NFL has uh, had, I think it was 93 of the top 100 um, broadcast. Uh, TV broadcast. So uh, I, I'm sure a lot of people have seen this, that the Broncos, uh, you know, threatened to bench Russell Wilson due to an injury guarantee uh, in the contract. And most recently, uh, the NFL PA has informed the Broncos that uh, that threat to bench Russell Wilson is actually in violation of the CBA. So it's illegal and that the team could face uh, and the NFL actually could face legal action and arbitration. So Do you have that letter, Mike. I feel like that letter is helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the letter from uh, the NFLPA uh, that says uh, this firm is. Do you want me to just read the whole thing? By the way. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Why not? Just just Sorry. read the, the first paragraph. I think that's helpful. Yeah, sure. Yeah, this firm is counseled to. And the also, it's a letter that goes out. Yeah. It's a it's a letter that goes out. It's a letter that's made its way onto Twitter. At least the the early portions of it. Um, but go ahead. This is your this is your typical demand letter. You read it. Then I'll tell you what what I've heard a little bit um, from some industry people as to the background. But go ahead. I think. The context is helpful, though, but go ahead. Yeah. This firm is counsel to the NFL Players Association and Russell Wilson. It has come to our attention that the Denver Broncos recently informed Mr. Wilson and his certified contract advisor that if Mr. Wilson would not renegotiate his player contract to relinquish certain salary guarantees, uh, the Broncos would remove him from the starting lineup. Uh, if the Broncos follow through on the club's threat, the club will violate, among other things, the collective bargaining agreement. Uh, Mr. Wilson's player contract and New York law. Uh, and we are particularly concerned that the Broncos still intend to commit these violations under the guise of coaching decisions from Sean Payton. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, and if you hear some background noise, my daughter is now hanging on my back like a monkey. Uh, you can't 
see on video, but um, you know, I'm carrying some additional weight here. So it's great. It's great. Um, the background that I heard on this um, is that, you know, I think this, and again, this, I think important context, the Broncos were telling, you were asking Russell Wilson to re restructure his contract. That's a very normal ask, right? But that ask is generally comes in the frame of like, Hey, can we, you know, change, convert some of your salary to, to bonuses? Can we change this to incentives? Can we change when this money is due to a different date? I think that's, you know, I think it happens, right? Um, that's pretty standard. When you hear people restructuring their contract, what, what does not appear to be typical and what the NFL PA is saying is a, a legitimate, verifiable grievance is to make, ask someone to forfeit their injury guarantees, um, you know, which is a very different ask, right? And that's really the core of someone's contract. Like, yeah, incentives are like a date that someone's going to get paid. Like, I don't know, that doesn't really, it shouldn't really matter that much to player if you get paid, you know, one day or 30 days from then, um, or if it's a salary or if it's, you know, baked into incentives, um, you know, if you just want to move that money around. But injury guarantees is very much a core part of that contract. And telling Russell Wilson that you have to renegotiate your injury guarantees and forfeit them, I mean, that's, that's, I, I, I've never heard of it happening. I, my understanding is that it doesn't happen. And the NFLPA is saying it doesn't happen because it's illegal. Um, you know, but certainly there are definitely side deals that are done behind the scenes. But, you know, with Russell Wilson, the money he's making and, and the stuff you've heard behind the scenes from Sean Payton, basically not being happy with him and how he's running the offense. It's, um, you know, it's one to watch for. So I don't, I expect that Russell's not going to be with the Broncos next year. The question is from a, from a monetary point, I think, you know, he, Russell chose not to forfeit his guarantees. Um, and I think that money leaves like an insane, it's, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but it's, from what I'm seeing, it's like an insane cap, but it's like a huge percentage of the, of the cap that they would have to, that Broncos would have to take if they cut Russell Wilson. So it's not going to happen. I mean, maybe they do it. I'm not sure. I don't think there's a viable trade partner that's going to take on Russell's contract, but yeah, at this point, the Broncos are really embarrassed uh Russell Wilson and you know I I think at one point I mean this is the the sports fan I mean not the lawyer he was certainly on a trajectory to being I think you know a hall of fame caliber player and now you know I, I don't think anyone's talking about him in those circles and you know it's a, it's quite the fall from grace for a guy like Russell Wilson who had everything he wanted in Seattle and and sometimes like I guess this is somewhat of a legal concept like if you have all the leverage you know that's great you can use the leverage to create a better scenario for, at your current employer, or sometimes you can leverage your way out to a new employer, but you know, I don't, he has no background in, in Denver. Um, you know, and the ownership has changed, the head coach has now changed. So yeah, Russell doesn't have many allies in that world. And, and that's why you see him being dragged. So yeah, I, I think Russell's going to be a starter somewhere. I don't know what team, I don't know what his contract's going to be. There's a world that I heard someone reporting that Russell could be, could be released. And then he could be playing on the on a minimum contract next year because you know the way that that cut would work, it would work as an offset. Whatever he makes with the new team would work as an offset against the money he's owed, um, guaranteed money by the by the Broncos. So, you know, he could be playing for uh, you know, uh, let's say the Carolina Panthers, right? I don't think so with with Bryce Young, but like that's a world. So, you know, to, just teams get ready. If you have a bad quarterback situation. Russell might be out there for the taking. So he's he's going to be laughing all the way to the bank. So you can't feel that bad for him because he's going to make his money. But, yeah, from his legacy point, uh, it's, it is a fall from grace for Russ. So um, this is what it is. But, you know, uh, worthy of us touching, at least in some respect, over here. Yeah, Dan, I mean, I don't have much to add on Russell Wilson. Uh, do you want to, you know, maybe get into our lightning round here uh, with the Carlos Ooh. Boozer, Alabama? Ooh. We've got a, lot, a few, a few lightning rounds. Lightning round. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. This is the time to do it. Mike, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we were talking about the uh, Pat McAfee show earlier. Um, Nick Saban, head coach of Alabama, uh, obviously the University of Alabama. I mean, one of the greatest um, college football programs in history. Um, he was basically almost solving bowl season with, uh, you know, a lot of people have been talking about the po what's the point of bowl season. Well, uh, for him, he's talking about disability insurance. Um, you know, he said that they basically get hurt a lot of these players and what they're going to do let's say they were going to get drafted in the first round they say i got hurt i got drafted in the third round uh you know supposed to pay me the difference you know coming from a player um that's tough to prove and tough to collect on Saban explained and then you know they also have critical injury insurance uh which is 
you know, he claims like, uh, you know, homeowner's insurance, you get an ACL or, you know, you tear your ACL or tear your Achilles, you get, you know, 250,000 or whatever number that they deem um, to be the value of that. Um, and then, so instead of trying to decide, you know, who gets what and who gets to play, uh, you just pay for, you know, pay for insurance. So when Tua, um, you know, got hurt in Alabama, changed his whole philosophy on that, he, he claimed, um, and that, you know, saying that the family should make that decision. Uh, does that make any sense? Or, you know, they're, they're just starting to give money to the families and to these players. Um, so, which is an interesting way to solve the whole not playing or not participating in the bowl games, um, which is what a lot of people have been kind of celebrating in this, in this situation. Um, you know, that, I think the reason it's coming up and it's a good observation on you, Mike, like, you know, people are like, why are the bowl games suck this year? It's because there's a lot of opt outs, number one, which started a couple of years ago. But the other part is the transfer portal. Guys want to get out, out of their team. They don't feel the incentive to playing for their old team. And at the second the team has the they gets eliminated, you know, from the college football playoff, like we saw a lot of opt outs, um, you know, this past week from you know Alabama, Texas, we start to see them. But the reason is like unless you're incentivized to play for a national championship, you don't. There's there's a lot of downside in the game. You could get hurt, but if you're Alabama and you have that money, and you could say, hey, if you get hurt, you'll get paid on an insurance contract. Like that is interesting. Again, it's a choice. It's an interesting one. If a school wants to reinvest in their players. By all means, like, I think that's a fantastic idea. Um, so I think, you know, again, we're not going to cover it here, but there's a lot of change in the world of college sports. And I know we got a lot of feedback. On, I got a lot of feedback on our last episode about how college sports have so many different unique and nuanced issues. That's one we'll keep paying attention to. This role of schools paying athletes directly, paying and taking out insurance policies. Um, we're watching it, but we won't. This is not a college sports episode, but we're, we're paying attention. Um, I had an interesting one that popped up less, less of a, you know, uh, I don't know, some big story, more just a fun story. Uh, Carlos Boozer, former, uh, Utah jazz, uh, Cleveland Cavalier, um, tells this interesting story that when he was playing for Utah, he, <laughs> he buys this like $8 million house. Um, I know you know what I'm talking about. He buys an $8 million house. He basically goes on the road. They're playing. He's not at home and he has an empty house. He furnishes it. He, you know, it's all ready to go. And his somebody basically makes an offer. Hey, nobody's living in this house for, I think it was like 95000 a month. They wanted to rent out this house. So Boozer went from like, I don't want anyone living into my house to like, okay, it's $95,000 like a month. Like, I don't know, this is a great rental property all of a sudden. So as the story goes, as Carlos Boozer telling, he was on some podcast or something recently telling it, the guy that's paying $95,000 to live in his house is Prince. Okay, so Boozer tells a story. He he's back home in Utah. This is when he was obviously playing, and he you know it's a fully furnished house. He's you know he knows what the house looks like, but he had just moved in, so he pulls up to the house, and he pulls up to what he thinks is the address. He thinks it's its house, but when he pulls up, there's a giant like when I guess this is the period of time where Prince was a symbol. He like when he had turned his name into a symbol. So he pulls up to the house. The Prince symbol's there. He's like, I think this is where I live, but like, I definitely didn't tell Prince he could put a symbol on the gates to my house. And he goes into the house and there's like purple carpet everywhere. There's like pictures of Prince. And apparently they had done some type of, you know, sublet arrangement where Prince could live in the house, but he couldn't like tear up upholsteries, paintings, anything else and and really turn the house upside down. So um, this is my favorite. Obviously, you know, this is just a fun fact, fun thing. Like, yeah, if you're subletting, you can't like, change uh like fixtures in the house you can't pull up carpet you can't do that type of stuff but if you're prince um mike what do you think you do to ease carlos boozer's concerns if you're prince and you've clearly violated this contract uh you know this this residential lease sublet contract what do you think you do if you're if you're prince mega recording artist what do you give him like five hundred thousand dollars or something yeah it's like (laughs) carlos carlos don't worry about it here's 500 grand don't worry about it i'm good for it when this contract's over, everything will be good as new. So I laughed. Um, one of our, our athletes, um, we did a um, – uh, we'll just say there was a, a crew of uh, – was some – I won't say the name of it. But there was a, a show like Cribs that went through his house. And we put into the contract, you have to put everything exactly as you see fit. And that we had to put that into the contract because it could be property damage. There could be this. You know, these, these contracts are real. We put them in for a reason. And I just thought it was funny. Like 
Carlos, I know I breached the contract. Here's 500 grand. What are you worried about, my man? It's all going to be good. Um, and if Prince gives you 500 grand, it's like, yeah, Carlos is like, yeah, what was I worried about? I just got 500 grand in my pocket. I thought that was an awesome, awesome story. Oh, that was too good. When you said that was one of my favorite stories of the year so far. Uh, definitely, <laughs> definitely a good way to kick off 2024. Yeah, there's breach of contract, but it's like, if there's, I, I, it's not, as far as I know, it wasn't a liquidated damages clause, but it's like, it's Prince. It's like, what are you going to sue him for? That you were pissed off for a second. You had purple carpet when you came to his house. Like, dude, it's all good. It's Prince. So that's why, you know, money, money tends to solve a lot of these problems. Um, I have one more. Let's cover it quick. I don't think there's much on it, but OG Ananobi, um, big trade between the Raptors and Knicks, the story we've covered on the podcast, you and I have covered it on the past. Um, I think it's the first time in history that two litigants to a lawsuit the Knicks are suing the Raptors right now in New York federal court for a violation of trade secrets for this employee switching teams and taking the Knicks secrets they have a trade OG Ananobi for RJ Barrett Emmanuel quickly um I don't think uh I don't know if we'll ever hear of again of a team two parties to a lawsuit consummating a giant transaction a multi-million dollar transaction with players on different ends um that made the trade to me all, all the more interesting, um, especially if the Knicks were are alleging that the Raptors know trade secrets about all their players and scouting reports. That still, notwithstanding, they want to take a shot on quickly and RJ Barrett. Um, I don't know what data the Knicks had if they had a uh, you know uh, bio you know biometrics and like health data and whatnot. I don't know what breach of breach of data happened, um, but uh, yeah. It made the trade to me as a Knicks fan all the more interesting. The Raptors are willing to take a shot on RJ and quickly. Um, that got me a little more nervous about that trade that we might have gotten ripped off. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, especially if they have the trade secrets that the Knicks are saying. So, <laughs> Right. They're like, oh, yeah, the Knicks are just misusing RJ Barrett and quickly. Once we figure out <laughs> – now we know how the Knicks were misusing them. Let's Now that we know their trade secrets and we know their their health data – you know, the stuff that the Knicks are publicly reporting versus what they don't want people to know. And we know about it. But the fact that the Knicks consummated that trade uh, tells me something, that they were very, very desperate to offload those contracts. Um, <laughs> I didn't like that part, but you did. I had friends asking me, what's the legal side of this? I'm like, the legal side is that the Raptors know where the bodies are buried uh, and want to <laughs> consummate this trade anyway. So I and the Knicks, the Knicks know that the Raptors know that and they still want to trade. So um yeah, uh, a little odd, a little odd. That's that's. Uh, I'll, I'll say. It. I, you know, normally, you know, you and I, we go, we don't know what's going on between Knicks and Raptors. You know, we're, we're not scouts. We're not knowing the stuff behind the scenes. But you know, so normally, I'll give people the benefit of the doubt that this is a fifty-fifty trade. Um, I'm a little bit concerned now that the Raptors know the secrets and did the deal anyway. But uh, that's, I'll leave it there. Um, Mike, uh, we covered a lot. We covered a lot of stories from Jimmy Kimmel all the way down to Carlos Boozer. Um, anything else that we have not covered on this before we put this episode in the books? No, I, I mean, big episode to start off 2024. There's so much that happened over the, uh, you know, the holiday season and the the new year. So it's crazy. I'm excited to see what what this next year's got for us. Um, all good, all good, happy and healthy uh, to all of our listeners. Kind of detrimental. Um, you know, our our recording schedule has been somewhat kind of in flux. We sometimes do. Early in the week, later in the week, but we will promise each and every week we'll have at least one episode. You know, maybe one or two weeks you will take a break, but I think last year we did 51 out of 52 weeks, uh, notwithstanding uh, December, which I decided to give ourselves a little vacay. Uh, I'm going away. Uh, I'll be back on Tuesday. So, again, we'll probably record, uh, you know, probably Thursday, eh, probably right around. Um, but, Mike, I appreciate you each and every week. Wish you the best of luck as you continue to get your grades in. Again, remember, not a life or death scenario. Try to get the best grades. If you don't get them, just try to learn something along the way. All good. And I think we can officially put this episode in the books. I will say one little program note. Um, Dan Wallach has been putting out episodes, again, under the Conduct Detrimental banner on a separate podcast feed called Lawyers, Lines, and Money with um, you know Justin Mader, who's been on our show a bunch. Uh, those two have a separate podcast feed. So if you're looking for sports, gambling, and legislative updates um, on, the, on the legal side of that, lawyers, lines, and money, highly, highly uh, recommend checking that one out. Um, okay. I think we can put this episode in the books. Great job, Mike, Dan Wallach, myself, and all of us here at Conduct Detrimental. We wish you a very happy and healthy new year, and we'll see you next time on another episode of Conduct Detrimental. <laughs>